0: Chapter 14 of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter 14. These things also belong to the wise. I heard her say it, ma'am, with my own ears. And do you think I want any such minister's wife as that? It was very clear to Mrs. Sayles' mind that she was not gaining ground. There was no use in trying to smooth over Mr. Tresevant's main fault to this excited, filial-hearted girl. Her own slights she could forget, but neglect of the sick and dying father was harder to endure. Her mistress deeply sympathized with her, and in truth was not a little startled over her pastor's neglect, as she knew that her husband had made a special request to him to call on Jane's father. She chose a new style of argument. After all, Jane, do you suppose your sole object in uniting with the Regent Street Church was because the pastor was kind to you and thoughtful of your comfort? Had you no better motive than that? One church is as good as another, Jane said evasively. It don't matter which I go to. Ah, you mustn't deceive yourself with that thought. If you were about to unite with a church for the first time, it would perhaps make little difference which. You would have a perfect right to take your choice. But to change from one church to another is a different matter. It always makes more or less talk. And the reason why should be quite plain, I think, and solemn enough to overbalance whatever might be said to the injury of the church. "'Oh, but, ma'am,' interrupted Jane, with a sort of sharp humility, "'who is there to know or care what church I go to, or whether I go at all or not? "'I ain't of any kind of consequence, not even to my minister. "'And if he don't care, who should?' "'Is that quite honest, Jane?' Mrs. Sayles asked, with penetrative gentleness. "'Don't you know of quite a number who will talk about it and wonder over it? "'Your father and mother, for instance, and your sister Susan, who is not a Christian— and who is all the time watching to see whether you do things from right motives, and the girls at the mill who are your friends and are not Christians. Do you really think it would be for the glory of God for you to make all this talk and injure the usefulness of your pastor in the eyes of your friends? I can't help it, Jane said doggedly. If I went to Dr. Ransom's church, he would come and see Father. I know he would. He looks just like he would come in a minute and it's hard, if father can't have a minister, to speak a word to him once in a while. It's awful hard, Mrs. Sayles. Them that hasn't tried it couldn't think what a hard thing it is to stand. Jane, said Mrs. Sayles, her voice the while being very gentle and yet very solemn, do you pray for Mr. Tresevant every day? No, ma'am, I don't know as I ever did. Oh, Jane, are you sure, then, that you have done your duty to him?' I am certain you are not one who thinks that people have no duties toward their pastors, and what a very plain and simple one this is. Besides, is it possible that you have really desired to have Mr. Tresevant visit your father because of the help that it would be to him, and yet have never asked God to put it in your pastor's heart to do so? After all, are there not two sides to this question? Silence, then, in the room, Jane sewing away earnestly, the flush on her face not dying out, new thoughts evidently stirring in her heart. After a little, Mrs. Sayles spoke again, very gently, "'I do not suppose Mr. Tresevant is perfect. "'I think him, like the rest of us, "'a Christian who makes mistakes "'and leaves undone things that he ought to have done. "'You know he professes to be a mere man. "'He probably mourns over his own failings, "'just as we do over ours. "'The question is, when we come to our Saviour every day "'with the story of our failings and duty,' our sins of heart and tongue, and ask and expect to be forgiven, shall we be charitable only toward our own faults and mistakes, expecting God to overlook them, and give us strength to try again, while we feel in our hearts bitterness toward some other Christian, and think, because his mistakes are different from ours, that they are therefore greater, and we cannot overlook them, nor ask Christ to forgive them? Not one word said Jane. She sewed away with trembling fingers, Once and again a tear plashed on the sleeve that she was sewing, and several times she took up a bit of her own sleeve and wiped her eyes. Mrs. Tresevant's voice presently broke the stillness of the house. "'Hannah! I want you or Jane to come and wheel these trunks out of the clothes-room for me right away.' "'Yes, ma'am,' they heard Hannah's voice in answer. "'I'll speak to Mrs. Sayles.' "'Jane,' said Mrs. Sayles softly, "'shall I tell Hannah to do it?' and Jane arose with a resolute air. "'No, ma'am, you needn't. I'll tend to the trunks myself. I'm an old fool, that's what I am, and I thank you for putting me in the way to see it.' And Jane went with determined tread out of the room. As for Mrs. Sayles, she called Hannah and dispatched her to the sewing-room with the dressing-gown, with directions to the seamstress to sew the seams on the machine, and to finish the garment. Then she went downstairs to another ordeal.' It was a different sort of one, but perhaps not any more comfortable to endure. She gave a little bit of a sigh when Hannah told her it was Mrs. Arnold who was waiting to see her. Now Mrs. Arnold belonged to that class of people, who preface a great many of their remarks with, "'Oh, have you heard?' or, "'Don't you believe?' or, "'Isn't it such a shocking affair?' Just what would be occupying her well-stored mind at that particular moment, Mrs. Sayles felt it impossible to say, but that it would be something uncomfortable she felt quite safe in thinking. Also, as the day was waning, Mr. Sales had arrived, and sat in the parlor entertaining their guest, and as Mrs. Arnold was not one of his favorites, his wife knew by past experience that his presence would not lessen her task. Dell too, was there, but Dell had been for the last twenty-four hours in a remarkably subdued state of mind, and might really be of service. Mrs. Arnold hardly waited until her hostess had greeted her, before her voice took on that indescribable sound that betokens shocked astonishment. "'My dear Mrs. Sayles, I have heard something to-day that I do hope and trust isn't true. Is it possible that your boarders are going to leave you?' Mrs. Sayles winced a little, She had hoped that that news was too recent to have reached even Mrs. Arnold's ears. But she answered as lightly as possible, "'Why, yes, Mrs. Arnold. You did not imagine that they were domesticated with me for life, did you?' "'Oh, dear, no. I'm sure it was delightfully kind and thoughtful in you to take them at all. Such beautiful rooms as you have. I said at the time that it must be very hard for you to see them occupied with boarders.' Now herein lay one of the puzzling inconveniences in the way of carrying on a conversation with Mrs. Arnold. Her hostess knew her well enough to be certain that she must hasten forward an emphatic and positive disclaimer, or expect to hear herself reported as having said that she could not endure to have her exquisite rooms defiled by the presence of boarders. Even in the face of the disclaimer, it was not certain that Mrs. Arnold would remember to distinguish between sentences spoken by herself and those which emanated from her hostess. However, Mrs. Sayles took all possible precaution by earnestly explaining and re-explaining her entire satisfaction with her present arrangements. "'Then why in the world do they leave you? How absurd in them, when they are so elegantly located! And you really are willing to keep them? Why, dear me, I hadn't thought of that view of the case. I supposed, of course, that you were tired of them, and I said to Mrs. Roberts that it certainly was no wonder.' Of course you would prefer being alone to having any boarders, but especially those who were constantly receiving so much company. Mrs. Roberts and I both agreed that it was really making too much of a hotel parlor of your elegant reception room, and you are willing to let them stay. Dear me, that is surprising. Poor little Mrs. Sayles glanced appealingly at her husband. Evidently in shielding her own hospitable intentions, she had made matters worse for Mr. and Mrs. Tresevant, Mr. Sayles joined in the conversation, in a tone which sounded hopelessly frolicsome to his wife's ears. "'Don't you know, Mrs. Arnold, there is such a thing as being selfishly exclusive? Perhaps my wife and I think we have enjoyed a selfish monopoly of our pastor's society long enough, and feel it our duty to pass him around among the outside world a little.' "'But what a way to do it!' exclaimed Mrs. Arnold, with more exclamation points in her words." "'and evidently detecting neither nonsense nor irony in the explanation. "'It seems such a strange thing for a clergyman to go to a hotel to board. "'Mr. Sayles, you surely did not advise him to do that.' "'As to advice,' Mr. Sayles answered, with the gravity of a judge, "'that is a matter which is entirely out of my province. "'I leave it entirely to my wife. "'Indeed, this whole business of what a clergyman shall or shall not do "'I consider to be in the hands of you ladies.' You certainly are eminently fitted to look after him. On the whole, Mr. Sayles rather enjoyed his conversations with Mrs. Arnold. He could be as sarcastic as he chose without the least fear of being understood. Nothing daunted, she pursued her theme. But I'm sure your wife didn't advise such a thing. She is too good a temperance woman. Mrs. Sayles, don't you think it is a very singular proceeding? Mrs. Roberts says that she has heard rumors before, "'that Mr. Tresevant was anything but staunch in his temperance principles, "'and this only confirms her in this belief. "'Miss Bronson, you came from his vicinity, I have heard. "'You ought to know something about his views. "'Is he really a temperance man?' "'I never saw him intoxicated in my life,' Miss Bronson replied with owlish solemnity. "'Dell!' exclaimed Mrs. Sayles in positive pain, "'while her husband laughed appreciatively. "'Well,' Dell said with fearless air, One might as well say that as anything else. In these enlightened days, to hear a minister of the gospel called in question in regard to his temperance views is a new thing under the sun. I should as soon expect to be asked if he were a Christian. Not without some qualms of conscience did Dell say this. Was it true? Yes, after due reflection she felt convinced that it was. She understood Mr. Tresevant better than he understood himself, and felt certain that it was not rum but self that stood in his way. Mrs. Arnold regarded her in wondering silence for a moment, then returned to the precise point from which she had started, ignoring all that came between, as such natures generally do. Mrs. Sayles, don't you think it a very strange proceeding? Why? Mrs. Sayles asked, not for information, but to gain time. Why, because I think it is very strange. I don't know what people will think about it. "'You know dear Mr. Mulford was very strict on that question, "'and he educated us all to his way of thinking. "'I don't believe the church will tolerate a pastor without temperance principles.' "'Mrs. Arnold was one of those people who was given to sending dear Mr. Mulford "'dishes of brandy peaches and wine sauces, "'and being offended when she learned that he never ate them, "'nor had the good man ever once had reason to hope "'that she was educated to his way of thinking.' "'Don't you think,' Mrs. Sayles asked at last, speaking very gently, "'don't you think, Mrs. Arnold, it is an uncharitable conclusion to arrive at, "'that because a man differs from us in his way of working out a principle, "'he must therefore be destitute of that principle?' "'Mrs. Arnold never answered so abstruse a question in her life. "'It was not likely that she would do so now, "'but she answered nevertheless with great promptness. "'I think a man should be particular about his actions.' a clergyman of all persons. Now, Mrs. Sayles, do you honestly think a hotel is the place for him? Mr. Sayles came suddenly to the rescue. Aren't you wasting time, ladies? What is the use of discussing the question twice over, keeping the man in suspense meantime? Why not let him have the benefit of the discussion as well as the decision? My dear, shall I summon Mr. Tresevant? Oh, mercy, no, Mrs. Arnold said in alarm while Abby turned away her flushed face and coughed in order not to laugh or cry, she felt almost equally like doing either. "'I'm sure I don't want to see him,' Mrs. Arnold continued. "'I shouldn't know what to say to him. "'What I should like to know is just what you think of all this, dear Mrs. Sayles. "'You are so ready to find excuses for people, "'but you are so very decided on the temperance question "'that Mrs. Roberts and I thought you would really be nonplussed this time.' I can conceive, said Abby, speaking very slowly and hesitatingly, of reasons why Mr. Tresevant should consider it his duty to board in a hotel. He would thereby come in contact with people whom he couldn't otherwise hope to meet familiarly, and he might gain an influence over such, and be the means of doing them good. And that is the reason why he goes there? I do not say I am giving his reasons, because I really have no business with his personal reasons for doing things, i simply say that i can understand how a good man might reason from such a standpoint end of chapter 14 recording by trisha g